Are you sure that every team in your tenant has a valid owner? Do you know why your users create new teams in Microsoft 365 groups? ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they have learned that the success in the cloud involves more than just migration. That's why they created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. ShareGate Apricot can help you answer questions like these without placing unnecessary restrictions on your users. With ShareGate Apricot, get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through archival. Automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphan teams. Collaborate with team owners on corrective measures to keep your teams tidy and secure. That's also why they've combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool, with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. Hello and welcome to another episode of Text Explaining. I'm here today with Brett, Rob, and I don't know, somebody else. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. This is hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> so for those new to the show, the other person is uh, Mark Rackley. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> mm. I see. Always in the doghouse. Always. You know what? Summer's here. Masks are gone in the U.S. for the most part, at least in the southern U.S. Um, and I'm ready to, to make my summer lit, <laughs> as, as my kids say. <laughs> do, do the kids still say that, Rob? Do I don't they? Think they do, actually, because I, they cringe. Uh, they cringe every time I say something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been told I'm cringy. Yeah. Are you cringy? Yeah. Faux shizzle. Your TikToks are cringe, bro. I hear that all the time. <laughs> Do you make TikToks, Rob? <laughs> so what's going on today, guys? What's new? What are, you, what are you doing this weekend? Today is is I'm actually on PTO today, so I'm I'm just I'm kind of relaxed. I've just had some hot wings at a, one of our favorite wings restaurants that Brent. And. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm ready. I'm, we're headed to the lake. We've got a cabin rented on the lake and I'm going to basically sit there and watch the sunrise and set. And that's all I'm going to do. That's all I've got planned. How far are you from the lake there? We're about 40 minutes. Okay. Or so. so not, not too bad. Uh, close enough to get there if we needed, close enough to be home when we, when we need to be. You know? right. I was checking it out. It looks pretty cool. The, uh, so that lake's like all in and out of different hills and things like that. It's not just you know, an oval lake or, or something. There's all sorts oh, of places I, that you can go. Explore. Yeah, yeah. Our lake, it, it's kind of a um, it's kind of a river that's dammed up and it, it's flooded like these kind of uh, little valleys. And so yeah, there's trees and like big hills and uh, it's it's a beautiful lake. It's it's right outside of Lynchburg, Tennessee. So if you've heard of that, if you've or if you've heard of Jack Daniels, you've you've probably heard of Lynchburg. Um, so it's it's just uh, it's just a wonderful little just serene setting where you can go and anchor up in the cove and feel like you're out in the middle of nowhere and, and just, just kind of relax and read a book or swim or, you know, drink as much beer as you can possibly drink. <laughs> so you'll be, you'll be right at home during the uh, speaker party for Branson. So yes, yes. Yeah. I can't wait to go to, uh, is it table rock? It is table rock. Lake. yep. 
They have, a, they have, a, I've got to bring my boat down there. I think they have a big cobalt regatta every year. So that all the people with cobalt boats kind of converge on Table Rock and they, they kind of just anchor up and there's all these events and free swag. And uh, so it, once I get a, uh, hopefully an electric truck that will pull my boat, I can come on out. Do it. You got a free place to stay. <laughs> 35 minutes from the lake too. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very cool. Well, my uh, my little boats that don't have uh, motors like yours uh, will be used this weekend as well. So we're, we're off uh, with a caravan uh, to uh, a place called Y Valley, uh, which is almost in Wales. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a nice like campsite and it's got the river Y running through it. And it's really, really awesome. So we'll be doing some kayaking and paddle boarding and things like that. And also drinking beer and maybe sheltering from rain. How close how close is your campsite from Gloucester? Oh, it's it's pretty close, yeah. Oh, dude, this it's, weekend it's is, that neck of the woods, yeah. This weekend is is the Gloucester cheese rolling. The wheels of cheeses? Oh, yeah, that's where they roll the wheels. If you don't know what that is, you have to Google that. <laughs> it's the most it's the most British awesome thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> when people break their backs and necks, and I mean, it's crazy. But you can, there's seven tickets for it this year. You can buy tickets and register for it. That's like pumpkin chunking here in the U.S. Yeah. See, see if you can break some bones falling down a hill after a piece of cheese and catch COVID at the same time. There you go. Well, so I was out. So Nick Swan, who uh, Brett and I used to do the podcast with, former MVP, um, he's from Gloucester and he took me to that hill. And honestly, I couldn't even climb it. It's so steep. Like I couldn't, like you can't go up it. You kind of have to go around. I don't know how people run down this thing. It's crazy. They don't. They fall down it. They do. <laughs> <laughs> All for a wheel of cheese. Yeah. I've done more for less. There was a lady, <laughs> yeah. lady being interviewed recently on TV. Uh, she's like been the uh, the champion of that like three years running, and she's broken a collarbone and and all sorts of things doing it. It's <laughs> crazy. I don't know how you stop because right at the very bottom of the hill, it doesn't just flatten out. It's like there's it, it kind of just stops and then it goes flat. It's no gradual. It just stops and then goes flat. And then maybe 10 feet after it goes flat, there's a huge barn. So if you don't stop, you run face first into this barn. I'm like, dude, no, there's no way. <laughs> wow. So Stephanie, you're going to Lake Erie, I guess, this, this weekend? Yes, but apparently Brett would probably find it boring because it's just kind of like, you know, oval shaped and flat. So I wouldn't find that boring <laughs> at all. <laughs> no we way. don't have any fancy mountains or anything there it's just one big flat lake so yeah so, that's where i will be i don't know if i uh told you this story but when i first moved uh to, to florida back in in 2007 and I, I got into boating and i was like going out in the gulf and loved it and, and so on and you know there'd be some snowbirds that came down uh from uh from up north and i just like got talking to this guy and he said yeah we were talking about boats and he had a boat um on one of the lakes and I was just like kind of like sounds a little bit boring you know having a boat on a lake because the lake here is like two miles long and half a mile wide or something like that well you just go around in circles and then I realized the size of lakes up there because <laughs> 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 yeah. we call those ponds here we don't call them yeah, <laughs> yeah we, uh, I, I think our longest lake in England is about 11 miles. <laughs> oh. my, lake, my lake has 200 miles of shoreline. There you go. 
Hey, Stephanie, have you ever driven like straight across your lake? Because Lake Erie is not a small lake. I mean, have you ever just like just traveled north or whatever direction you got to travel to go like towards Canada or? No, we've not taken off enough time to do that. However, uh, we will at some point in the future when our schedule isn't quite so crazy with the kids. We want to be loopers. You guys know what? Have I talked about being a looper before? Oh, what? oh yes. Looper. Yeah, I don't so, know that either. Yeah. Yeah. So you can actually, so with the Great Lakes, you can kind of go up and around and back down. So that would be like a short trip for us. Um, but some point we want to loop. So you come down like the Mississippi and into the Gulf and then back up around um, the east side of the East Coast. So I don't know. We'll see someday, maybe 10 years. I got to get kids out of school first. So we I think that would be an amazing trip. Out. I think you would see so many cool things and meet so many cool people um, and just relax and just be, I mean, I think it'd be an amazing, I would love to do that. It's pretty intimidating because you have to go through the locks um, and there's a lot of locks you have to go through. So you're constantly changing levels, um, which is not necessarily an easy task. I've seen some uh, pretty damaged boats that people that don't know what they're doing coming through there so oh, it's, awesome. yeah. it's, it's just, definitely an adventure what do they do? <laughs> sure. do they just tie up to the wrong thing and just get drug up or down or whatever or? I'm, I'm not even sure exactly how you end up hitting another boat um but i do know i they like to take groups of boats through together because it's a lot of effort um mm. to kind of take you through the lock and to, to raise and lower it so you do have to go through with a group of boats and i don't know maybe you're tying off in some cases and if you don't tie off correctly then then issues can happen so so yeah, yeah. it's a little bit intimidating but you can follow uh the great loop on socials if anybody's interested it's i think it's hashtag the great loop um but you can follow people that go around and i just this family that i followed just finished so i need to follow i need to find someone else to follow now um so i think you know trying to learn about stuff i don't even want to remotely estimate how much that would cost in gas though well and that's why you follow the river down the Mississippi <laughs> instead of fighting it to go up that way. Everyone goes the same direction to kind of help with that effort. But yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. I'm being for a sailboat. <laughs> <laughs> you could go up the St. John's River in Florida. Apparently that that flows north. And I hear that's because Atlanta sucks, but <laughs> just slid, slid that right. He has been there. waiting for you. How long now to say that joke? <laughs> so we're going to talk about some technical stuff today. I reckon. Um, it sounds like uh, it sounds like uh, the, the, the topic that, that Stephanie is most passionate about right now is request for proposals. It's not really technical, but it is right. It's all related. So Stephanie, what what kind of um, what kind of things are you seeing when people are submitting RFPs and stuff? Are you seeing some good ones? Are you seeing some really good ones, or is it just all bad? I would say ninety nine percent of them <laughs> come in and and they're not exactly what we need. Um, the challenge I think with RFPs are that, and and specifically what I'm talking about is. The stuff that hits our plate is, okay, we're on premises and we need to move to Office 365 and, you know, they're wanting the whole quote all at once. And this is like pre-discovery. And I think the challenge is when you aren't familiar with 365 yet, you don't actually know that it's not a one-for-one -one 
uplift, right? Like maybe exchange could be sort of kind of close to that where, you know, if you move your email into the cloud and email runs, you're kind of done, right? But there's all these like levels of things that you have to be thinking about and security and SharePoint isn't just SharePoint anymore. SharePoint goes into Teams or SharePoint or OneDrive. You have all these things to be thinking about. And if you're not fully versed on how your content needs to move over, what needs to be reorganized, what everybody needs to be accessing, what your pain points are, it's nearly impossible to quote exactly what that migration from on-premises to the cloud is going to look like until those conversations happen. So my my big frustration right now is that there's all these great opportunities out there, um, but we're kind of old school in the way that we're approaching, hey, I need to go get a quote for moving to the cloud, that there's, I think there's a gap there that, that really needs to be talked through. I don't know, do, do you guys, well, Rob, I know, you know, you and Brett really don't do a lot of consulting, but you've been through that experience of moving to the cloud. Can you imagine trying to go get an RFP at the beginning of that process prior to having moved everything? I just dealt with something very similar this week, actually. So even though we don't do consulting, we we kind of service our internal people and they, they wanted, they're like, all right, all we need at this conversation, and I have it at least once or twice a week. It's like, all we need is a form. Like I've got this data, I need to collect this data, and then I need to be able to report on the responses or whatever. And it's like, okay, cool, yep, got it. And then I met with this person this past week as, as this particular example, and they were like, oh yeah, this is great. Uh, it's kind of what we have now. We're collecting it all like in an email and you know a PowerPoint, whatever we're copy and pasting. I was like, okay, yeah, cool. We can create a form, Microsoft Forms, then we can create a little power automate flow that will move it over to a SharePoint list. You can manage it from there. So you want to see, uh, you know, X, Y, you know, A, B, C fields here, but like in the thing, the working copy, you want to see A, B, C, D, E, F, right? And, um, you know, with, with, with those things being comments or, you know, things about what, what work being done on, on the request. It's like, okay, cool. Yeah, got it. So I went with them and we prototyped the whole thing out and they're like, yeah, that's great. Can we get this to look more like what we have in PowerPoint? Well, <laughs> okay, you didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. Technically, yes, but we haven't rolled out Power Apps. You can't really change the, the list forms and all that, blah, blah, blah. So had this long discussion. It was, it was very frustrating, I think, on both sides, right? Because, you, you know, the original request, I can imagine something as complex as doing a migration or something like that, right? To where you might have, I think many times, I'm sure they don't even tell you if they've got customizations or, you know, oh no! Work and they say they don't have customizations, and then you find yeah. out they have a lot of customizations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, because sometimes, and it's not their fault sometimes, because the whoever created them is no longer with the organization, and they've had this SharePoint environment or these customizations have been around for ten years, and nobody even realizes at that point if you have, if you don't have a lot of attrition or turnover in your organization, you think it's just SharePoint you think that that application is just part of SharePoint. You don't even know that it's totally custom and that whatever it was was deployed to the server and that when you go to SharePoint Online, like that's not gonna transfer. You can't deploy anything to a server in SharePoint Online. You don't even have access to the servers. You have to do everything front end. So like a lot of them don't even know, which is why the RFP is so challenging because they think they're just asking for you to move SharePoint to the cloud. They don't even realize what they have is totally custom and has to not only be migrated, but actually completely redesigned because you have to take a totally different approach to do the same thing in the cloud. It's not that you can't do it, 
but that you can't do it in the way you did it on the server on on premises. Well, and it's little things that like I didn't think was going to be a big deal, but turns out it's a very, very freaking big deal to some people. It's vanity URLs, right? In SharePoint on-prem, you can have your own vanity URL. You can call it, you know, robsharepoint.doit.com or whatever, right? And you, you, you could do that. But in the cloud, that's not really a thing. And people don't really understand that. And they, they're just like, well, what? I've always had this for like since SharePoint 2001 or 2003, whatever. I've always had, you know, my, been able to go to this URL and it be here and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, that's just not a thing anymore. It's just not, you know, welcome to the cloud. And I think it, it, it's really, I don't know, it's hard for me because expectations like that, that, that people just automatically assume because of the way that we've done it on-prem for 15 years is just not available anymore, right? And, and, and I feel like Microsoft takes a beating for this. Um, you know, if you're using Monday.com or you're using Asana or something like that, you don't go to some fancy custom vanity URL, you go to monday.com and log in and start using the freaking system, you know? And, and, and I think Microsoft has a, it's kind of the same way with the multi-geo stuff too, right? I mean, and I can imagine that you know, in, a, in an RFP, but you know, nobody's doing multi-geo to the level of detail that Microsoft is right now. Um, but yet the expectations I feel are different for Microsoft than it is a non-Microsoft vendor. Right. That, that, oh, if you do, you know, we're going to hold you to these standards or whatever, because you've either done it this way always or you do it now. But these other vendors, let's just let them in because that's just, you know, we just got to accept for the way they work. And I don't know, I, I'm venting, but, but I find that I find that to be kind of something that that is probably very difficult. And, you know, when you're when you're talking about migration from my perspective and, and doing because we're not while we're not doing bidding on work or anything like that we're still doing very similar initiatives in the, what we deliver um it's really hard to set expectations because you can be a hundred percent right or a hundred percent wrong in anything you reply to right at this point yeah and i you know going back to the url thing for a second um you know sometimes expectations are really hard to set for the business users because they just don't have any exposure and they don't know. But when it comes to the URL thing, I run into IT people, people that are really like really in-depth knowledge of IT and networking and security. And they still come to me like, oh, in this URL thing, I assume we can change this. And it's like a secondhand thought. And you're like, no, actually you can't, <laughs> right? It was like, you you can't just make it, you know, pick group well, ours is paygroup.sharepoint.com, right? That's what we wanted. We got it early on. But if you had someone set up your 365 environment who didn't know and they made it some crazy name because they didn't think the tenant name mattered and you could just name over it, um, you know, then then you've got this issue and, you know, the renaming well, thing is a, a well, big but, deal. But you, couldn't, you couldn't have your SharePoint sites be at collaboration.paygroup.com unless you go on print, right? So, and that's so like you couldn't, I mean, you could have a redirect URL or something like that, but you couldn't have like when you look in the browser, it's going to say paygroup.sharepoint.com no matter what if you're on your SharePoint. Yeah, and that's a bigger deal than you know, people realize they just assume it can be done and then it ends up becoming a bigger conversation and it, it just it's it's something so small, but I don't people really get stuck on that. And to your point earlier, Rob, you know, you go to these other third party cloud based applications and no one's asking to do that. But because their previous legacy on prem SharePoint environment did, the expectation is there. So yeah, I, kind of, 
I, that one, that one really stings. The the URL one stings a little bit because I had some partner promise some consulting, some group that said, uh, "Yeah, we can absolutely use vanity URLs and and ship them online, and it's, it'll be great." Blah blah blah. And then I'm like, "No, we can't." And they're like, "Well, this partner said you've got to make it happen." I was just like, "Sorry, bud, but I cannot." <laughs> you know, <laughs> you go, <laughs> <"Hey."> Bitly. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, people in jail also won't out, so <laughs> I know what you want, but. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, and Brett, you probably on the kind of the flip side of things, I know when we're looking at custom applications, there's this, oh, okay, well, you know, we understand we need to redo these custom applications. Can you kind of take a look at what's there and tell us what to do? And there's this, again, this assumption, well, it was in SharePoint before and it's going to be in SharePoint online now. I understand you have to customize it. Let us know. But there's this whole like redesign, like you have to rethink how you build your application. So Brett, like you guys probably went through that when you took lightning tools from like on-premises versions into the clouds, so, like what kind of things would you wanna know? Like from a customization standpoint, right? If you just said, well, move it to the cloud, well, there's decisions to make and there's a thousand different ways you can do the same thing. Like what was your experience in taking stuff over? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and one of the things uh, I think you, you just gotta make sure that, you know, you're, well versed in where those areas of the technology are, are shifting <clears throat> and uh, that's where um, you know, with, with things like um, you know the, the permissions tool uh, for years permissions didn't really change in SharePoint on-premises uh, and then all of a sudden they did <laughs> in uh, in SharePoint online when everything started to go modern and, and so on so yeah we had to uh, you know adapt to that and you're, you're sort of really yeah, well, obviously wanting to keep a product that people want, but you're also um, you're keeping an eye on on how Microsoft itself is is changing and, and the benefits that uh, that they're going to get the customers are going to get from uh, from the new features and, and the way of working. So one of the things with uh, the modern experience of SharePoint Online is I feel that you know, Microsoft made it less complicated on on how to sort of report and, and manage permissions but at the same time they made it more complicated <laughs> because they've simplified the user in, user interface so uh, people are more confused as to you know, who's got access to content and things like that so we've had to sort of keep that in mind when we're designing our application that you know people want simple but they also want to uh be able to see the detail as well um so uh yeah it, it is a sort of redesign and and it's um redesigning it for a, a, an ever-shifting goalpost as well um you know that, that's mm -hmm. I, I think the biggest difference is you know we don't have this three-year window now where we can design an application and and not just know that it's good for three years but um, know that it's good for maybe six nine or twelve years because there's organizations that will keep their sharepoint environments for that long now it's a case of yeah you, you're forever improving your product it, it, we don't stand still <laughs> with, with those and um yeah that's obviously to make sure that we're still competitive but also make sure that the product still got a purpose as well with, with inside the the application um and then on the other side you've got uh you know shifting um development platforms too so yeah we uh i know we talked about this before but you know of course um, WSPs and uh, well, full trust code, whatever you want to call it, was around for a long, long time, and then we moved to the uh, to the app model or the add-in model. Um, and uh, by the time I think we just about started getting to deliver uh, a full set of features in the add-in model, it changed to SharePoint framework, <laughs> and then we sort of started all over again. Um, but 
I'm glad that we did because you know we, that has left Lightning Tools very competitive as well. Um, ha the fact that we have kept evolving our, our products. Yeah, there's some vendors out there still selling add-ins, <laughs> and uh, yeah, this is something where we 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 moved on a long time ago. So it's well, and it's, it's good that you guys continue to iterate and get better, and you're still here as a result of that. Because um, the other thing that we see is that there's there's this assumption. Well, I have this third-party tool on premises. Oh, just find me the version of that tool now that works for SharePoint Online. And a lot of those tools that were around, you know, for 2010, 2013, they're no longer here. So you you also kind of need to be looking at does this tool even exist anymore? Is it out of the box? Um, you know, what are we going to do to replace that functionality? And, you know, many, I would say maybe even most haven't made that leap from 2007 to 2010 to still being available in 365. Um, so I think that's a, that's another factor that you're looking at. And again, that's not something you necessarily know up front. So you're doing an RFP and you're looking at, okay, so they have XYZ third-party tools, but what does that mean for today? And you kind of need that time and that discovery ballparking that stuff can be really challenging. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you just made me think about a recent change that we started to make to uh, to, to the Lightning Collector. I don't want to just be pimping our products here, but it's kind of relevant. But <clears throat> so uh, so one of the things the, the, the Lightning Collector always did, I mean, roll back to 2007, <laughs> and uh, there was a challenge. And, and this idea came to me from delivering training um, that lots of people that were sitting on training courses, um, you know, we were talking about the best practice of having uh, multiple site collections versus one single site collection and, and one of the reasons was to have you know uh, the, the content database per site collection and so on and, and all those reasons if you remember back that that far um, and uh, one of the challenges was well if we're doing that how do we aggregate content and that's where you know, the content query web part at the time was just able to aggregate from from the current site collection so we built the lightning conductor we started aggregating lists across different site collections and, and so on that was a, a great win for us um, but how that's changed uh, recently in SharePoint online and this came out of a, a brainstorming session we had um, relatively recently is now we've got hub sites and associated sites and uh, your know, content living outside of SharePoint as well that might be in OneDrive might be in Teams and, and what have you you speak to some of the people that are new to, to the SharePoint environment and they don't even know what site collections or hub sites or associated sites are uh, so you know this tree view doesn't make any sense to them when they're trying to navigate to where the content resides so we've actually now completely rebuilt a, a roll-up tool that is purely based on the type of object that you want to see so it might be that you want to see planner or uh, to-do tasks or you want to see um, you know OneDrive items whatever it might be and we're navigating that content through Microsoft 365 groups now. <laughs> so it's like, what, what groups do you want to get this content from, as opposed to what site collections and what sites, which used to be the emphasis. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's interesting how it evolves. You have mm. to rethink the way that you want to see content. You have to rethink the way that you're organizing content for security, for roll-up purposes, for a new architecture. You mentioned hub sites. We didn't have those on-prem. So all of that stuff, you really need some time to do that, sit down and do that planning. What do we have today? Where do we want to end up? And then we still get requests for like, well, can't you just bring it all over? Like, you, do you really want me to bring it all over? Like you don't, because then all that junk ends up in your search results. Maybe we need to move only what's active. So all of those little pieces that you're mentioning, Brett, those play into that bigger conversation. So again, 
we're not just uplifting. We're not just moving from point A to point B. We're reorganizing. We're scaling. We're trying to figure out your security. Um, we're trying to figure out where your files go. We're trying to figure out how to redo your custom applications. Like all of those things have to be discussed and planned and re-architected and redesigned. And that RFP that hits that just says, well, here's what we have today. You, why can't you just, why can't you just quote it? Yep. You know, all of these <clears throat> things. Actually, one thing I'm, I'm doing at the moment, which I'm really, really enjoying is uh, and this is a nice break from from doing uh, products. <laughs> but so so a little while ago, we we formed a company called Enlightening that does coaching. And uh, most of it has actually been uh, the power platform coaching. But I've had one specific client that wanted some SharePoint coaching and they're a charity here in the UK. And uh, anyway, we, we did like an initial call and realized that because of the pandemic and people working remotely and so on, they've um, started to use Teams. And this is their first, um, I guess, insight into the whole Microsoft 365 thing was we're using Teams to, to collaborate. And now they've started to see these other tools and, you know, they're realizing that behind each team is a SharePoint site and so on. And they want to see what SharePoint can do for them. So uh, it, it's been great because I've started with a blank canvas <laughs> and it's not I'm, I'm doing. It's like, well, here's what SharePoint could, could do for you. And they're saying, oh, yeah, this would be great for this department and what have you. And, and we've done some coaching around that. And it's just like being one hour sessions each week. And uh, every week I'm seeing what they're bringing back to the table. They're like, <laughs> and it's blowing my mind. It's like, oh, wow, you did that. <laughs> it's uh, it's really nice. So, so, yeah, they had no idea what like communication sites were or, or home sites or what a hub site was and, and so on. And yeah, they're, they're getting all that uh, that experience and, and everybody's loving it in, in the organization. So that's the ideal so, scenario. You get yeah, you don't often get a blank canvas. <laughs> exactly right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So Maybe. if you could start from the beginning. Sorry, go ahead, Rem. I was going to say, do they have any job openings? Because that's pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, and I, you know, to kind of get down to the point, I think if, um, you know, we get, we need to get to the point where IT goes, you know, we, we need to sit down and do some planning. Let's budget for planning. Let's budget our implementation for the following year. Because if we sit down and do the planning, our budget's going to be so much more accurate for what we're actually going to need. We just, we don't often get that opportunity. Everybody's in a hurry. We got to do this yesterday. You know, COVID obviously expedited this, but going as we shift back into whatever is next, you know, hopefully we're getting post COVID getting there. We can plan again and we can sit down and go, what do we want to do? What do we need to do first? How much money do we need to budget for the planning and actually do the planning? Because long run, it, it definitely pays itself off to be able to sit down and do that. Do you guys see a, a lag between when you get an RFP versus when they say, yep, we want to use you guys. Can you come in and do it? And the reason why I'm asking is, is a couple of things, right? Is, is that um, does the work seem to fall off? I'm sure you still track it. And also there's a lot of things changing behind the scenes. So if, if their process to get you approved and get all this work ready to go takes a couple months, your direction might have changed on what you can potentially do, right? You know, maybe it's it's less of an effort or maybe it's more of an effort based on what Microsoft has released and, you know, how things are changing constantly behind the scenes. Yeah, we try to build that in. Um, we actually submit what we call educational RFPs. 
which <laughs> try to explain the process and, and the fact that working in phases is far more effective than trying to blow out this RFP that's going to take two years to do all the things. Why don't we chop this up into pieces and let's take this one one phase at a time and here's the approach and here's the questions you should be asking and, and those sorts of things because you're right, like you could be building something, a customization that in six months is going to be rolled out. As MVPs, we may know this, but we can't talk about it. So we may also try to guide you. Like if I were you, I would consider not building this and let's put it in phase three, you know? So that's part of the thing that we can do as MVPs is to be able to guide people. Even if we can't necessarily tell them all the things that are going on, we can help them prioritize where, you know, their money's going to be spent best if they're looking to do a particular thing. So, so definitely I think timing is everything with that stuff. Mark, you've been quiet. Which what's your biggest struggle when we're we're doing these quotes? Um, so I just hate RFPs, if I'm being honest. I, I think, <laughs> you know, I started responding to RFPs when I was doing government consulting, and it's just the it's always been the most nightmarish uh, red team, pink team, just groups of people working feverishly to hit these deadlines on these huge RFPs. Um, and the, the problem with RFPs, I've, I've always been told, is if you did not have a hand in writing that RFP with the client, then somebody else did, and that's who they want to win, and it's been written for that other person. So the chances of you winning any RFP that you were not involved in writing is, is extremely slim. And a lot of times it's a race to the bottom as well. So I have a personal loathing for RFPs. Um, I don't find the what the squeeze is worth the juice. Uh, for the most part, although we've had some success with RFPs, it paid. Um, even going to the fact that we responded so well that they actually removed their RFP from the table and rewrote their RFP, um, and we and we got that work. So that's, you know, so I guess I guess it's a love hate, but mostly hate. I'm sorry if my opinion wasn't clear enough. Let me know. <laughs> well, and I I th I kind of wish companies would write their RFP hand in hand with consulting firms. I, I feel like it's not happening enough. I, that's probably kind of the opposite of your opinion, but I think if they were, they might be better written. They might include the discovery information up front and, and what they want to do and the architecture and, and that sort of thing. Like I would love to see something written done with a company guiding them through the process, because I think if you do discovery, right, you do the planning right, you should be able to go out and, and quote that work. Go go see who else can do it better. Um, I think that's a fair thing to do, but I think you need to work hand in hand with someone to know what to ask for. This is kind of my thought. Sounds like it's a business idea there. Bring RFPs. <laughs> <laughs> so don't respond to the RFPs, go and create them. <laughs> well, and I, you know, I think that could be that's that's something that people should be looking for, you know, who can help us write this and and be prepared to put together some kind of fee that you're willing to put forth for that effort. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of people that, you know, if you would pick us for the implementation, we can work a deal, right? If, if you use us for the discovery piece, you end up picking us for the implementation, maybe you can work that fee out. Um, but I, I think it in the end would would end up being a better experience for everyone because 
I've seen some of these RFPs that come through and we've passed on a few because they're just too dangerous. There's way too many variables. There's just no way. And you know, the, the danger for the customer is that someone's going to ballpark an astronomical number to make sure they fall under it. And that's not ideal for you as the customer. Um, mm. You know, you're going to get much more accurate numbers if, if you know exactly what you need. Um, so I, I really don't, it, it's not, it's not beneficial to the customer to, to, go into this and not have those details that's www.papergroup.com <laughs> well so I'm, I'm guessing these rfps typically come in they're all over the map there's no standard process everybody does their yeah. own thing and and um I, I wonder why i wonder it just seems like something so common would have some commonalities across all of them but i guess it's just depending on who's writing them or who's what the company is or i don't know i mean I know security forms, I can imagine, like Brett was mentioning earlier before the call, I can imagine how many variations on a security form there are, <laughs> you know, how many. But there wouldn't have to be, right? I think if you, if there was like a published standard of best practices where you could kind of run through a list and say, you should be asking these questions, like you, everybody thinks they're unique is the problem. <laughs> Everyone thinks they're different. Everyone gets on and says, my file share is the worst file share you've ever seen. <laughs> Everybody, you know, you're just like, yeah, we know. Everybody's <laughs> culture is different. I think the culture of the organization is very different from one place to the next, but the actual needs, the, the things that are wrong on the backside, very, very much the same. Yeah, I can see where, where like different industries might be different, like, the automotive manufacturing industry might be different than banking, might be different than government, right? Things like that. So I could see specific things for specific industries, but inside of those industries, very much the same, very much very similar, right? Which is why they're coming out with 365 tenants for healthcare, right? For retail, that's it. They're, they're trying to help the customer fit themselves into the, because within the industry, it's it's even more so, right? You might have the same challenges across every organization, but within healthcare, you have very specific things that come up every single time that, that Microsoft's trying to kind of expedite you through that process of, oh, how do we resolve this problem? Well, here, here's a tenant that has all the things you need. Here's a tenant that already handles HIPAA, right? Here's that, well, all of them can, but like, what are the levers you're pulling that need to be configured for HIPAA kind of stuff, right? That how do we replicate that more quickly for each customer? Well, I don't think people... Well, that hits on my point again, right? Is that is that Microsoft is going way above and beyond any other vendor than on this topic, right? So, oh, a retailer doesn't meet your needs. Okay, well, we'll create you a whole tenant that does, or healthcare, or government, or whatever. You've got all of these different options, and most vendors are like, go to Monday.com. That's what you get. <laughs> you know, go to Asana, go wherever, go to, you know, uh, I don't know, what, whatever vendor. They're, they're not really addressing the issues to the level of detail that Microsoft is. And I think, um, I think that's good and bad um, because I don't think they're going to. I don't think they have to, right? But I think Microsoft is doing the right thing by pushing the industry in that into that realm of catering to these businesses and their needs because they are somewhat uniquely different. I mean, and to that end, they need to also modernize the RFPs themselves to kind of match the technology. I mean... We still have RFPs saying you have to send them in by snail mail. You know, the, the security stuff that Brett was talking about, you've got to have all this, you know, 
talking about how secure your solution is. I'm like, well, it's not, you know, it's it's hosted in Azure. It's hosted in, you know, it's it's Microsoft's tenant. We're not doing anything to store your data. We have to still fill out these three pages of paperwork as, you know, if we were. And it's like, you know, it's it doesn't apply. And people don't grasp that. So uh, there's just, it's it's a mess right now. Unfortunately, it's just like generalized. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, the, the, the people that are interested in our product, the, the end user, they get it. But then it gets passed beyond them to the procurement and the procurement's like, oh, this is software. So we need this form filling out. <laughs> and it's, a, you know, I'm, I'm the one that gets this this form <laughs> because nobody else knows how to fill it out. And I'm looking at it thinking, yeah, again, this makes absolutely no no sense at all for our software. It's it's almost like irrelevant, irrelevant, irrelevant <laughs> all the way through it. Uh, but of course, you have to explain why it's irrelevant. Um, and it hope that that procurement person understands. <laughs> right. But sometimes that's a big ask. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we lost with Stephanie on mute. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie's multitasking, I think. My dogs are losing their mind right now, so. <laughs> I have multiple dogs right now. So anyway, yeah. So I don't know. RFPs, that's my rant for the day. So give people five tips then to create. Can you give people some tips to create some better RFPs? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have five. My, my, I have one tip. My one tip is if 365 is new for you and, and you can't run through an answer, the stuff that we've been talking about, right? Where are my file shares going? Are we using Teams and SharePoint? What's the security structure look like? Um, you know, what are the pain points we're solving? How are we converting our forms and workflows over to the Power Platform? Do we have custom solutions and what are we gonna do? If you can't answer those questions, you need to slow down, back up, get engaged with an organization that can help you through the planning process and make sure you're setting things up correctly. And then at that point, you have that information, you can now go effectively do an RFP because the discovery should not be so expensive that you need to RFP that. That's something that a lot of times that cost is small enough, you don't need to go bid that out. So go find someone who can help you put all that together and then go get that RFP done. Um, you know, Again, I, I don't know that RFPs are always the answer, but I know a lot of organizations are required to do it. And if you're required, do that planning, get someone to help, get the RFP out there in a format that someone can actually bid with a reasonable number, a reasonable cost for you. And, and again, it's gonna lower the risk on both sides. So that that's my advice. I, I think there's I don't think there's multiple tips or multiple answers. I think I think there's one answer and that's that's planning. And and wow. even if you don't think you've got budget for it. Microsoft actually provides a lot of documentation on this. Go out and at least do the research and and try to get some of that information up front because it'll it'll save you a lot of grief in the long run. I would think crazy out there to say that I, I believe that if you spend time doing the discovery and you spend a little budget doing the discovery, it will cost you much less in the end. The amount you spend on discovery and figuring out what you have and what you need to do will be less than the cost of going in bond. And I guess I should point out too that there are tools out there that will help you analyze what you have. Uh, I might even mention one of them as our awesome sponsor, ShareGate. They do have some functionality within their platform to actually do an analysis of your stuff that you're going to migrate, which will give you some information. So any information you can give 
uh, in that RFP is going to help you get some better responses. So um, look for tools that can help you do that as well. And that's a free tool too, right? It's a free tool you can use. And I don't know if it's free, is it? I think there's a free yeah, I think, yeah, I think that that's a, a the assessment piece is free. What they're trying to do is pull you in and, and get you to, to buy the migration tool then. Yep. But I think I think if you say, you know what, hey, I ran the share gate analysis, here's the results of the analysis, that would go tenfold over not having any of that, right? And, and it would give you a much clearer picture of what needs to be done. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, ShareGate. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great tool as well. So even the migration tools, if you choose to go that route, uh, just a fantastic tool all around. It's used by many, many vendors, many companies. All right, guys. Well, I guess we are running low on time. I think we've talked about this enough. Um, really good topic. I feel like I've learned a lot. So uh, it's good to hear your frustrations on the side of receiving RFPs. That's that's really cool <laughs> and everything. But um, I, I guess if anybody has any questions or comments, just feel free to, as always, shoot us an email at info at .net. And until next time, we will close the show and look forward to hearing from you. And we'll come and get, come at you again soon with a new show, hopefully within less time than this show has taken to, to get off the ground. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, same time uh, next year, right? Yeah, same time next year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks for listening. Cheers.